morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, could you take it and turn to Luke chapter 1? Over these few weeks at Christmas, we have been looking particularly at the songs of Christmas. I enjoy singing uh, a variety a variety of Christmas songs, but particularly as we've gone to the account of the birth of Christ in the book of Luke, you notice there are some songs. So people are bursting with joy and they're, they're sharing what God has done and they put it in poetic form. If you have a, a more modern translation, you'll see that as kind of the words are offset a little bit. And we looked at one of those last week, the the song of Zechariah, and this morning we're going to look at the song of Mary. What we're going to read today, kind of leading up to that, God has just reassured Mary that she will deliver the child who will be the savior of the world, and she's been in conversation with her cousin Elizabeth about this. And as she begins to grasp what the Lord is doing, she, she has words that she sings. We've got a very special reader today. I can get her on stage about once every 10 years. So I asked my wife to come and read. Uh, Luke chapter 1, she'll begin in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he, ha- for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Thanks, Sean. Question for you as we begin to look at this passage today. How do you know where you are in your relationship with God? How do, you, how do you evaluate where things are spiritually? And we take tests for lots of different things. So it's not uncommon to get into some sort of cycle of taking all these tests to determine where you are physically. How is your physical health doing? And there are tests that we take for licensing or certification to enter a certain field. And there are tests you take to measure your progress in, in a certain subject. And there are, there are tests you take to find out if you can apply or be accepted to a school. But like, how do you evaluate where you are spiritually? What test is there for that? Do you keep a chart on your ref- refrigerator of good works that you've done? Like kind words, kind thoughts? You accumulate so many and that tells you I'm doing pretty good. If I get to a certain level in the month, how do you evaluate where you are spiritually? Is it like a a certain amount of Bible knowledge? 
Bible trivia you acquire. So when you get to this certain level, then, then you're doing okay. Now, how, how do you measure? Is it like you try to be as moral of a person as you can be? Is it an amount of seconds or minutes or hours you spend reading your Bible, praying? Is that how you and God, your relationship, is that how it's measured? Is it measured by looking at your life and seeing you know, the bad habits that shouldn't be there and trying to you know, decrease those bad habits and trying to cultivate the good habits? I mean, is that... Is that where it all starts? Is that how we measure our relationship with God? I ask that because I think, I think we have in this song that Mary gives us, we have some ways of evaluating where we are with the Lord, where our relationship is with Him. It can kind of serve to diagnose our heart if we'll let it. I mean, we've, we've come today in what we call a worship service. And we, we have sung songs like Glory to the Newborn King. And, and so are we okay with the Lord? Or are we right with Him? We have a limited amount of time on earth and I want to give attention to my relationship with God. I want that to be in the right place. And I'm praying that God would do more than just take us to this story that maybe that we've heard a lot and Luke 1 and Luke 2, which, which we reflect on every year, and with good reason. I want us to look a little bit deeper because I, I think we can ask some diagnostic questions of our heart and see where are we with our relationship with God. I want to ask two in particular. So one is, like, how is my worship? And another is, how's my walk with God? So I want to start with asking that question, like, how is my worship? And I want this passage to do its work in our hearts. So we are asking, how is my worship. How is my worship of God? One of the descriptions of Mary that we see very clearly is that she is a worshiper. I haven't been to many baby showers, but I'm just guessing. People don't say this kind of stuff at baby showers. Her heart's filled with what God is doing. And it just overflows. Songs are such a great outlet. Like music is such a great outlet. And singing is such a great outlet to express worship. So when you grow up in the southeast, Saturdays in the fall are college football time. And, and they all have their fight song. And you see the great expressions of worship. When the fight song comes out, there's joy and there's loyalty there's like an allegiance pledged. Songs have a way of expressing, like, I, I, want, I feel something and I want to I voice that. It expresses what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. And, and sometimes we hear music and all it takes is a few notes and it takes us back maybe three years, five years, ten years, twenty years, back to something. It, it jogs our memory. And so Mary has this song and it's a song of worship. And that's why even as we come together each Sunday, we gather together, we sing because we express our joy and our loyalty and our worship. I hope you still have your Bibles open or hope you have your Bible still on. So as, you, as you're looking at this, listen to Mary speak in verse 46. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Literally, my soul declares that the Lord is great. 
There's magnifying like in a microscope when you take this little small thing and you, you have enough lenses to make it look big. But then there's the magnifying of a telescope where you have this big, big object and, and you would not be able to see it because of the distance. But it, the, the, mag, the telescope takes you closer so that you can see in detail. And that's exactly what Mary's saying. My soul is magnifying the Lord. I'm declaring that the Lord is great. In verse 47, she says, he's my God and he's my savior. For all that we could say about Mary, for all of what church tradition has done with the thought of Mary, I think it's just important to recognize in verse 47, she, she needs a savior. And she praises God that he is mighty to save, even her. Verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. He's got a name that is holy. Reminds us even the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered. Verse 52, he's brought down and exalted. Verse 53, he is filled. Verse 54, he has helped. And again and again, Mary speaks of the greatness of God. So here as we're thinking about our worship, our worship of God, here's a question. Like, is there something in my heart causing me, leading me to to talk about the greatness of God? Mary talks about the greatness of God in her worship. Am am I led to do that? Do Do I declare that the Lord is great? Am I talking like that? I mean, not in a pious way, not in a showy way. I kind of just... Make sure everybody in the world knows that I'm pretty proud of the fact that I'm this or that. Not in that way, but in your own way, in a meaningful way. Would others be surprised by the fact that you name Christ? Or is it it's just like there, you, you recognize that this God is great, and he's mighty, and he's strong, and he helps, and he lifts up, and he shows his strength. Do you recognize that? Do you declare that the Lord is great? Do you recognize that this is a big God, the Savior, the Holy One? You see God is at work in a big way. I think about Mary. And as you read verses 46 to 55, it basically is like reading over and over again in the Old Testament. It's like grabbing different parts of the Psalms, parts of 1 Samuel. What it tells us is that Mary knew the stories of the Old Testament. She knew God was a great God. She knew in Genesis 1 that God is a great God who created everything. She knew of the God who sent the worldwide flood and saved his people in the midst of that. Likely she knew very well the stories of Exodus. How God sent plagues on his enemies and then brought his people out, crossing the Red Sea, speaking to them from Mount Sinai, feeding them in the wilderness. She knew God was a great God. Likely she was well familiar with the stories in Joshua of the conquest of Canaan when when God was at work delivering his people. It's likely she knew the story because she basically lifts the prayer of Hannah and makes it her own, the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, where Hannah prays and prays and prays that God would give her a child. And she says, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And so she used Hannah's words when Hannah received that child and offers praise to the Lord with some of these same words. She knew 
likely the stories of David, how he killed Goliath and put in route God's enemies. And likely she knew the greatness of, of David's kingdom. But it is miles, it is miles away when you know some of the stories of the greatness of God and then when you know it and own it for yourself. It's a very different experience. And her heart is pouring out. Like, I've seen God do something great. As a matter of fact, Gabriel has to remind her, like, remember, nothing is impossible with God. There are two births in the book of, in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth is expecting a child after she ever thought it was possible. And Mary is expecting a child before she ever thought it could be possible. And in both of these, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary knows this and pours out her heart that God is a great God. Her view of God is calibrated, even her view of herself. And so she says, I am a servant of the Lord in verse 38. Do we see the bigness of God? Do we see it in such a way that we're drawn to talk about it? Sometimes we don't recognize the bigness of God because there are so many other things in our life that seem really big. And please don't misunderstand me. I think there are lots of things in our life that they don't just seem really big. They are big. I can even look out today on people that have a lot of big stuff going on in their lives. Some have heard the diagnosis of cancer. And that just looms very large. It's hard to even think about much else because of where that, where that focus has to go. People dealing with the pain of someone missing this Christmas. And I wouldn't minimize that at all because it feels so big. I, I think of those that are are looking for a job, those who desire to move forward in their career, and it feels like this is, this is really big, this is important. I think of even students, whether it be a college student or a high school student, middle, middle school student, elementary student, just trying to find their place, and sometimes it's like really, really complicated and really, really hard, and it's just hard to, hard to see the, the bigness of God in, in the midst of, like, big seems like trying to fit in and trying to be accepted and trying to make some friends and trying to figure out who you are and what you want to be, and that seems very, very large. Sometimes it's uh, relationships with the family, and even uh, holidays remind of good relationships are tough relationships. And those seem really, really big right now. These things seem big, they feel big, and they are big, but too often they begin to eclipse how big God is. It's almost like the, the solar eclipse where the moon goes in front of the sun and it blocks the sun. And in our mind we know like the sun is way, 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 way bigger than the moon. The moon's closer and it seems bigger and it's blocking out everything else. And sometimes I wonder, is the bigness of God because we live in this world where we have things that seem like right in front of our face. We're not so drawn to worship because something else is just right in our face. Remember that I I said this could function like a diagnostic test. Where are we in our worship? And by worship, I don't just mean like the 25 minutes of singing we do before I talk. Like don't have a limited view of worship. As Romans 12.1 would say, as we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, all of life is worship. All of it. All of it is worship. 
And so is my life consumed with the greatness of God? Will I praise, will I, will I trust God because He is a great God? Not just from a, a, a few Bible stories I've learned, but, but Scripture that I've internalized, that I know He's a great God. Do I know this? Am I willing to submit and obey because he's a great God? Do I pray to him because he's a great God? This is worship. Do I say no to sin because he is a great God? He's worth saying no to that. Am I, am I loving my neighbor? Will I take up my cross? Will I say your will be done? Not because I'm great, but because he's great and I'm willing to say your will be done. You're the great God here. All of that is worship. And if anything has eclipsed God, we can use Mary's words. The Lord has done great things. He's mighty. And we, be, we begin to see the greatness of God. We're drawn to worship him. Can we listen to Mary again? Look at verse 47. She's pouring out her praise and she's talking about the greatness of God, but she doesn't stop with the greatness of God. She moves on. In verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices And God, God, the one who saves me. Verse 48, he's the God who looks down on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Verse 50, for his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, but he's exalted those who are of humble estate. He's filled the hungry, those that were were hungry, he's Fill them with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in, in the remembrance of his mercy. So God remembers his people and acts in merciful ways. We're not just talking about the greatness of God, but I want you to know in your worship and evaluating your worship, are you enjoying the goodness of God? Yes, are you talking about the greatness of God, but are you enjoying the goodness of God? Do you see God as a good God in your life? just interesting to me, Mary will say, people from now on are going to call me blessed. What she doesn't say is, you know what, people are going to call me lucky. So I got dealt a great hand. What are the chances? What are the odds? Mary has this conviction, not just that she's been lucky, but there is a real personal God who knew exactly where she lived. And cared for her deeply. Do we enjoy the goodness of God? I love the way she says it. The Lord has done great things for me. God personal to Mary. He's done great things, but they were in my direction. Can you sketch out in your life this past week where you took any time to recognize that the Lord had done great things for you. Can you sketch out any time over the last month where you began to connect dots in such a way and you didn't chalk it up to coincidence? You knew God was at work for you. That God was showing mercy to you. Do you see God working in small ways? Do you see him working in big ways? Do you see him in the relationships that he's given you, the friendships that he's given you, all that he's blessed you in your life? Is this leading you to worship him? For Mary, it got very personal, but it didn't stay personal. He, she actually would say, 
others from, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. But she says in verse 50, his mercy is not just for me only, but it's for those who fear him from generation to generation. It went beyond merely a personal encounter. Mary could talk about this good God and say, it's not just for me, but God is good to others as well. As a matter of fact, he's good to all those who fear him. I love, it's just, it's just not that hard. I love to share the things that are meaningful to me, the things that I find valuable. If you find a good restaurant, you're glad to share. You enjoy some music, you're glad to pass it along. You, you see something, you watch a video and you say, you, you got to see this one. That's just so human, isn't it? That's what we do. And Mary, in her personal encounter with the goodness of God, says, yeah, actually, generation after generation is going to know the goodness of God. This is really what evangelism is all about. The goodness of God. It's about sharing how good God has been. I, I mentioned this, this week I got a card from one of our partners that we support in a mission endeavor, Young Life, and they do great, great work in northern Delaware. I got this card and it says, it's addressed to Ogletown, so shall I read it for you? Ogletown, thank you for your faithful support of Young Life in northern Delaware. Because of your support, a former atheist heard about Jesus and has begun a relationship with him. Thank you for your partnership in this mission. And he's pictured in this, but also pictured in this are lots of friends that go to Ogletown who are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because they knew they'd had an encounter with God that they couldn't contain. It had to be shared. It had to be passed along. And, and I think this is the heartbeat of what God does in us. We can't just keep it. We know God's goodness isn't just for like this many and no more. But our heart, heart reaches out to those that have not yet met Christ. The Lord has done good things for us and that's what she's talking about. Is this fueling our worship? Do we talk like this? It'd be easy to kind of say, well, you see, Curtis, though, like, Mary got the dream job from God. I mean, what an assignment. Not that hard to sing songs like that. I might write poetry if God gave me such a dream job to be that important in all, all of his plans. Man, all you have to do is take a step back and realize... What the privileges that Mary got came along with a pretty massive amount of pressure and stress and hard times. As a matter of fact, we won't even get through Luke 2 without Mary being told, this child's going to break your heart. Mary and Joseph will have to go to Egypt and running from King Herod. And imagine Mary will live now. She's saying, I'm blessed by the Lord, and she means it. Sometimes the blessing doesn't always come exactly like we think it's going to come. Sometimes we would rather be like more in control and more comfortable than, than God's blessings allow us to be. And so Mary will, will likely live with questions and doubts. Well, you know, we're, we've always wondered about what happened with Mary. The, the, the calendar didn't quite add up there. We don't know all of what happened. She'll live with that for her life. At 12, she will worry about her son. He'll say, I'm, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, Mom. 
she'll kind of go in between, kind of hesitate between doubt and confidence on, in, as Jesus grows up, and then she will be on her face at the cross as she watches her son get crucified. So let's not just say Mary had lots of good things, and it was very easy for her to say, God's been great to me. You see, even when God doesn't quite do it exactly like we wanted to. The goodness of God can fuel worship. I love this definition of worship that I came across this week. It says, worship is the believer's response. This is by Warren Wiersbe, who has a great way of taking complicated things and big topics and making them pretty simple. This may be him at his best. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body to what God is and says and does. The believer's response, all of it, all of it, all of it, to what God is and what he says and what he does. It's acknowledging that his worth is the greatest. It's finding a sense of reverential awe and fear. It's a willingness to obey. It's a hunger to praise. It's serving the Lord by serving your neighbor beyond just the basic capacity of, well, I feel like it, so I'll serve them. It's turning from ungodliness because you love him. It's humbling yourself. It's confessing your sin instead of covering it. It's casting your cares on him because he cares for you. It's depending on him and trusting in him and placing your life in his hands. All of what I just said, all of that is worship. And what fuels worship is when we get this glimpse of God. We see him for who he is. as the great God and the good God. And then that, that pushes us to respond with acts of submission and acts of praise. You see how the words of Mary is a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful song. It begins to draw out our own hearts. How are, how are we worshiping? How are we worshiping? I believe we're drawn to ask another question. And that is this, how... How is my walk of faith? I feel like we've got, got to go there. So it's one thing to have a, a big view of God, a great God, the right view of God that he is a good God. But eventually that has to have like boots on the ground and that's going to mean a walk of faith. So we can have that view of God, but then that's going to have to fuel a walk by faith. And the question is like, am I learning to walk by faith? Or am I, am I, am I trying to see everything? Do I have to see it? Do I have to put my eyes on everything to really believe. Most of the writers who look in detail at this passage, they'll call your attention to something. Mary is talking about things. She's talking about them as if they've already happened, but actually they haven't happened yet. So when, when it says he throws down the mighty from their thrones, there's still a Caesar in Rome ruling. That hasn't happened yet, but Mary says, God's taking care of that. Mary is seeing something with the eyes, with her eyes of faith that she doesn't see with her literal sight. You see, everything in Mary's world would identify who matters. And this is who matters. The people who are on thrones and the people who are mighty and the people who are rich and consequently proud. And everything in her would say that's reality. And everything around her would say... Okay, these are the beautiful people, the 50 most beautiful people, the 10 most powerful people, the people that really matter. And then there's this other list that really doesn't matter, and that's the people that don't matter anyway. Humble estate, hungry, needy. 
And Mary is living in that world. She's living in a world that's occupied by a foreign power. I mean, even the government that they have in Israel is kind of a, a, a sham government because it's under, under Rome. Not much seems on the horizon for God to work in a way to show his glory, but, but she speaks because she's resting on something else. It's not what her eyes see. She has promises. She has a whole Old Testament of promises. A whole covenant, the first covenant of promises. She has dreams. She's experienced enough to convince her even when all of this hasn't come to fruition yet, she believes, she speaks of this reversal and Luke emphasizes this theme over and over again, the, the reversal. So those that are rich end up being on the, on the bottom and those that are of the humble estate end up, God takes care of them. Those that are hungry now become filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're, they're, feel, they're filled. This is what Mary is seeing and, and there's hope and help for Israel she alludes to in verse 54 and verse 55. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In the Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is where Mary is living. She's going to walk and raise Jesus Christ. But all of that will be a walk of faith. She won't see it all with her eyes. In her heart, she knows it's true. God has shown her enough to believe even living in a broken world. And she'll wait for this son of hers to make all things new. It would seem like such a tragedy to go through Christmas season where we're singing about worship. We're singing about shepherds and wise men and forget, oh, maybe I need to check my own relationship with God. Maybe I need to see where is my worship? How am I walking by faith? Do, do, you, do you know God? Where are you with him? Where is it in this walk of faith? See, the truth is God, God made this world perfect. Holy and right and everything was, human beings were right. But humans make a mess of it. We know that. We're rebels at heart. And in the midst of that, God has acted on our behalf. He showed his might. How do you show your might, God? How do you show you're both great and good? He sends his son. And his son lives the life we should have lived, but we can't and we don't. And died the death. We deserve to die. Takes our punishment in his place. We have forgiveness of sin. Our account is clear. And that is great, great news. There'd be a, a fitting question like, well, what do we do about life now? I mean, it's one thing to have our sins forgiven. We can be with God for, for eternity, but what about right now? And, and that's where God goes to work in us. That's why it is a walk of faith. It's not just a point in time. It's a walk of faith as we walk with him. God does something, he comes, and he makes us clean from the inside out. He gives us new hearts and a new life, a life of repentance. We turn from things and a, a life of faith. We turn to God. A life of obedience, we say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. A life of worship. My body's not my own. My time is not my own. I'm going to pour out everything to him. 
It's a life of change. He makes you into the person he truly created you to be. He changes your heart to love him. He changes your heart to love others. And one day we believe that God will return, that Jesus Christ himself will come. Those who have lived waiting, those who are alive and those who have died in Christ will see Jesus and be in his presence forever, worshiping and serving. And that walk of faith will be done because the faith, faith portion of our, our encounter with Christ will be done. The faith will have become sight and it will be perfect. See, Mary pours out her heart, pours out a heart of worship. I pray that that diagnostic question, like how am I worshiping, will go into our hearts and we'll sort through. And how am I walking by faith? For some of you, if you've never had that encounter, personal encounter with Jesus Christ, I'd love to do is talk with you more about that. Maybe you had a friend and invite you, or maybe even after the service, you'd like to talk to someone on a prayer team that'll be available or one of the pastors. But, but let's let this passage, Mary's song, do heart work in us today. Can I ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes as we just take time to evaluate our hearts for the Lord? In a moment, we'll sing a song of worship. Here I am to worship. Certainly could have been sung by Mary. I know it'll be sung by us today. God, work in our hearts. Where our faith has grown weak or cold, where our love for you and our love for others is not, well, it's non-existent where we have looked at the greatness of things, but it hasn't really been you. It's been the other things in our life. Where we can't remember the last time we've said to ourselves, God is good to me. May we be free from, free from sin and bondage today so that we could worship the way you've created us to be. Created us to worship you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.